Thanks, Brother Tina. I'm thinking, uh, no way he's going to do that. God doesn't make junk. He promised us a mansion. I've been sitting there during the special music trying to have the Holy Spirit give me clear direction which message to preach. Often happens when he gives you, when you give get two different messages and uh, <clears throat> so I made the decision on my own cuz he didn't seem to be saying anything and <clears throat> My notes aren't in here. <laughs> so now I know which one I'm supposed to preach. Take your Bible, if you will, turn to Isaiah chapter 55. While you're turning there, let me uh, thank the choir for their opening this morning and for the special music last Sunday morning. Uh, Brother Greg Boer has uh, become the choir director and is doing an incredible job. And the choir is... Uh, is uh, stepped up. We have new choir members and uh, folks are uh, developing their voices and their talents and they're using them for the Lord. And uh, You say, Brother Casey, is music a spiritual gift? No, no, not really. The gift is that of ministering. When the choir sings, they minister to our hearts. The spiritual gift says, those that minister, let them wait on their ministering. That means let them be patient and be faithful, be steadfast, and God will bless. And the deal is that a spiritual gift is whatever the Holy Spirit does through you that strengthens the church, helps the whole church body. So if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, Start looking for what you, something you can do. It's not going to get you a lot of recognition necessarily, but it is going to help the church, help the church body. And uh, the Holy Spirit will use that mightily in your life. Isaiah chapter 55. Let's read this responsively. I'll not have you stand since you've already stood several times. But uh, I'll read the first verse, and you'll read the second verse, then I'll read the third verse, etc., through the end of the chapter. This chapter is the chapter of invitation. The chapter of invitation. The message of invitation. It begins, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore, incline your ear and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, 
and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God, and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So now my word be that that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void. But it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name. For an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, as we look at this passage this morning, as we examine your word, you've said that it would not return to you void. I ask you to cause your Holy Spirit to enlighten us and illuminate the word so that we might know exactly what it is you have to say to us. Dear Lord, we will be careful to give you praise and glory and honor. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Chapter 55 of the book of Isaiah begins, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. He that hath no money, come ye and buy and eat. Yea, come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which satisfieth not. Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Notice, if you will, that God is saying, I am offering you something free. I am offering you some free gifts. But they are spiritual gifts. You say, wait a minute. He's talking about water and food and wine and milk. Why do you say spiritual gifts? Because look at the end of verse 2. Let your soul delight itself in fatness. You say, Brother Katie, it looks like your body's been delighting itself in fatness. Yes, it has. I enjoy good food. I enjoy the taste of food. Now, when I was a teenager, when I turned 12, maybe 13, I enjoyed the quantity of food that was available. I was accused of having a hollow leg. <laughs> we would spend the summers at my aunt's and uncle's house in central Oklahoma, and I would get up in the morning, and she said, she would, aunt, my aunt owner would say, now, what would you like for breakfast? And I'd say, well, what is there? And she'd say, well, we have eggs, bacon, sausage, toast, milk. 
or we have cereal. And I'd say, that sounds good. (laughs) She'd say, how many eggs do you want? Well, I found out that I could eat seven eggs and not even blink. And so she would scramble me seven eggs or fry me seven eggs and four pieces of toast and sausage and bacon and a quart of milk. The reason I know it was a quart because she served it in a quart jar. They had goats. My uncle was lactose intolerant, couldn't handle cow's milk. And so uh, they milked goats, and I'd drink goat's milk. You see, Brother Casey, doesn't that taste funny? No, that's clown milk, you're thinking. Clown's milk tastes funny. Goat's milk tastes like goat's milk. Not everybody responds to it like cow's milk because it hadn't been uh, pasteurized and it hadn't been homogenized, but it tastes like milk. And I'd get up from the table. And she would give me my list of chores for the morning. And I'd say, yes, ma'am. I'll get right on it. What time is snack? (laughs) I'd work for a while, come in, have snack. As soon as snack was over, I'd say, what's for lunch? Now, you think, Brother Casey, man, you must have been a pig. No, I was a teenage boy. Okay? And those of you who have them know exactly what I'm talking about. Those of you who do not have yet have one, who, oh, bless you. You better be putting money in savings. <laughs> You're going to have to feed that child. But God says, let your soul, let your soul delight itself in fatness. When's the last time you had a fat soul? A comfortable soul? When's the last time you got up in the morning and said, Man, God, thank you for another day. An opportunity to praise you. An opportunity to serve you. An opportunity to bring glory and honor to you. What do you have to say to me this morning? And you grab your Bible and open your Bible and and the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you. The problem that we sometimes have is that we come to church and we sit and we listen and we leave and we don't do anything with what we heard. Don't do anything about it. Sumner Wimp used to say, you just come, sit, soak, and sour. You sit in the pew, soak it all in, and if you don't do anything with it, it begins to sour. And pretty soon, it's just not as exciting as it used to be to be a Christian. And pretty soon, you begin to notice that the pastor is not exactly what you would call a good preacher. And sometimes he, he tells too many jokes. Or he doesn't tell enough jokes. Or he talks in a monotone voice. And he just bores everybody to death and they sleep through the service and nothing ever seems to happen. Nobody ever says amen. And very soon you can't hardly stand going anymore because you know it's going to be the same old thing over and over and over and over again. Got the picture? Good. 
sometimes we do that. Jesus says, through the Holy Spirit, to Isaiah, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. What waters? In Ephesians chapter 5, he talks about the, the Lord Jesus Christ purifying the church through the washing of water by the Word. So the water's the Word of God. The water's the Word of God. And the water is the gift of salvation. Jesus sat down on, on the side of the well at Sychar, and it was Jacob's well, a well that Jacob had dug, and, and this woman came out at noon to draw water. Now, Israel in the summertime is a lot like here. The humidity is not quite so high up in the mountains, but uh, down in the plains, uh, it's pretty miserable. And, uh, and all the women go and get these big jars of water, in the morning, and then if they need fresh water at night, they go back in the, in, in the late evening and get more water. But this lady comes out in the middle of the day, noon. It's hot. The sun's bearing down, and she's carrying this big old water jug. And she gets to the well, and Jesus is sitting there. And I, Quite honestly, <clears throat> she's a Samaritan woman, half-breed, okay? Um, not just a half-breed. She is an, a sinful woman, okay? A woman who's never satisfied. I don't know if she was a whiner or a complainer or what. I just know she'd had five husbands, and the man she was living with now was not her husband, okay? So either she couldn't be satisfied or her husbands couldn't be satisfied. I'm not sure which. But she comes out to the well, and Jesus said, uh, Would you give me a drink of water? Out of the well. Because you've got to let the rope down and you've got to draw the water up and you pull it up to the top and then you use that jug to fill up your jug and you don't drink out of the jug you're drawn with because people don't want to draw water out of something you drink out of. So Jesus says, could, you, could, could I have a drink of water? And she says, what are you, a Jew, doing asking me for a drink of water? And Jesus said, oh, well, if you knew who I was, You'd be asking me for water. And the water that I would give you would be in you a well of water springing up into everlasting life. She said, where did you get that water? In the course of the conversation, she comes to recognize that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And she wants Him to be her Savior. And so she gets saved. And this water of salvation, wells up within her and she runs back to town. She is much better acquainted with the men in the town than she is with the women. So she doesn't go to the women's homes and tell them. She goes to the marketplace where all the men are and she says, hey guys, you got to come to the well and meet a guy who told me everything I ever did. Wow. It's interesting how the Holy Spirit works. Because all Jesus said about her was that she had five husbands and the man she's now living with was not her husband. That's not everything she ever did. But when the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and the preacher gets up and preaches, it may not have anything to do with what he said. But you feel like he was preaching right at you. 
This man went to church one time, and uh, after the service was over, he, he uh, left and he came back the next Sunday and went back home. And came back the third Sunday, and third Sunday he walked down the aisle. He said, Preacher, I don't know who's been talking to you, but so far you've talked about everything I ever did wrong. I better get saved. What is that? Oh, that's the thirst. The thirst for the water of life. And that's what God is offering here in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 and 2. And then he has a little gentle rebuke for them. He says, why do you spend money for that which is not bread? You say, what's that mean, Brother Casey? Why do you spend all your money on things that don't satisfy? Which is better? Getting a new something or anticipating getting a new something? You say, well, it depends on what the something is. No, it doesn't. It's all the same. You're either getting stuff or junk. Junk is the stuff you keep. No, junk is the stuff you throw away. Stuff is the junk you keep. But it's all the same. You buy kids toys at Christmas. And they break them open. I remember Jamie. He's about four years old. And he opens this thing and he pulls it out. And he said, oh, I've wanted one of these my whole life. <laughs> he's 38. And he, and he still turns red when we bring it up. But that was so funny. I wanted one of these my whole life. I don't remember what the toy was. But that afternoon, was he still playing with the toy? No, he's playing with the box that came in. Man. Austin got really excited one time because he came to the house and we'd gotten a bunch of office furniture. And uh, I took all the empty boxes and put them in my garage. And we taped them together. Cut openings between them. And they had this incredible box castle climbing one end, and it had a hole up in the top of it in one of the boxes so he could stand up and look out the box, you know. He wasn't but a little bitty rat. And, uh, oh, man, that was the coolest thing. Why are we as adults like that? We get stuff, and, and wanting it does more for us than getting it. If it's a bass boat, we call it two-foot-itis. Okay? You know about two-foot-itis? Yeah. It's not having two feet. It's about having a boat that's two feet too short. You buy a 15-foot John boat, and it's wonderful the first day you put it on the water. But you don't have to have it very long before you realize you really needed a 17-foot. And so you get the 17-foot, and... Oh, man, oh, so much more room. In fact, what you really needed was the 19-foot, 19-foot bass boat. Because you got the, got the, the platform in the front where you stand up and, you know, fish up, you know, without cracking your shins on the gunnels of the boat. And so, I, man, but you know what the problem is with a 19-foot bass boat? Even a brand new 19-foot bass boat. One problem. 
It's not 21 feet long. Two-foot-itis. We are never satisfied with stuff. It cannot satisfy. And so the Scripture asks, why do you spend money for that which is not bread, that which will not satisfy? I don't know why. But we do, don't we? I think it perhaps it's because we're so short-sighted. Okay? We see today and tomorrow, and we may look down the road a little ways, maybe 10 years or 20 years or, you know. When you're in high school, you can't wait to graduate and go to college and be on your own. And that's fine for young girls, for young guys. They can't wait to graduate from college and get out of the house and join the military so that people will quit telling them what to do. Those of you who've been in the military know exactly what I'm talking about. When you get there and this guy gets in your face and says he's going to be your mother and your father. Wait, I joined the military to get away from them. And it just doesn't work. So we look down the road a ways farther. Oh, someday we'll get a good job. You know what a good job is? It's one that gives you a paycheck. This kid graduated from college, and after about six months, he decided what he thought he wanted was a career, and what he really wanted was a paycheck. He just wanted a job. But you get a job, and a good job is one that pays you every week or every two weeks or once a month or whatever. And then, once you have that job, you got it made. You've got something to complain about every day for the rest of your life. You gotta go to work, you know. Gotta get up, gotta make the donuts. Gotta get up, gotta make the donuts. Gotta get up, gotta make the donuts. That's an old Dunkin' Donuts commercial, for those of you who are too young to remember. And especially since we don't have Dunkin' Donuts in this town or any of the neighboring towns, it kind of disturbs me. Um, but, uh, wow. We ought to look a thousand years down the road. What are you going to be doing in a thousand years? A lot of people think, well, I'm not sure. I know exactly what I'm going to be doing in a thousand years. I'm going to be living with Jesus, ruling and reigning on this earth with him. That's what the scripture tells me. So I don't have to have a bunch of stuff now because I'm going to have a bunch of stuff out there. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread and you labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me and eat ye that which is good and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Then he begins to tell us how to do that. Incline your ear. Incline your ear. I used to think I knew what that meant. And then I got old. And now I know exactly what it means. Some child says something to me. Or my wife says something to me. 
and I have to incline my ear and say, say that again. Say that again. Okay. And I finally found a doctor, an audiologist, who said, Brother Casey, you're losing your hearing in the upper ranges. Okay? And that's such a, that's such a much better diagnosis than my wife. She's beginning to say, you're not hard of hearing, you're hard of listening. But I'm hard of hearing. And even when I understand what she said, I don't want her to know, so I say, what? What did you say? Because if I ever act like I heard her and understood her the first time, she's going to expect me to do it every time. Okay? Kind of like taking out the trash, guys. Okay? How many of you take out the trash every week? Yeah, me too, because I did it once. Okay? Once they find out you can do it, oh my goodness. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live. Hear what? Hear the Word of God. Hear the Word of God. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you. Often, when I read the Scriptures, I read quietly, silently. But if I really need to know what it says, I'll read it out loud, or I'll get it on my computer uh, on an... an audio Bible where they'll read it to me and I follow along as somebody reads it out loud because you, you, you could, uh, what's the word? You retain a certain percentage of what you see and a certain percentage of what you hear and you put those two together and you've got a bigger percentage. If you, say it, if you read it out loud, then you say it, see it, and hear it. And that increases the percentage much, much higher. So that's a good way to read the Bible. Out loud to yourself. Incline your ear. Come unto me here and your soul will live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. What were the sure mercies of David? Oh, it's when God promised David. You'll never lack for somebody to sit on the throne in Israel. I'm going to bless you and your kingdom forever. Do you know who's going to be the king of Israel, the millennial kingdom? Not Jesus. I've heard people say, yeah, Jesus is going to rule over Israel in the kingdom. No, he's not. No. The 12 disciples are going to rule over the 12 tribes, but David is going to sit on the throne in Jerusalem. You say, well, what's Jesus going to do? Jesus is going to be the king over all the kings. David and everybody else in the world. He's going to be the king of kings and the lord of lords. And we're going to rule and reign with him. Those of us who know him as personal savior. Wow. The sure mercies of David. That's why I'm not too worried about going through the tribulation period. Jesus isn't going to be here. And I'm going to be with Jesus. He's coming. Isaiah goes on and says, I've given him for a witness to the people, a leader and a commander to the people. That's David's responsibility. 
Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not. And nations that knew thee not shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. That's why I love going to Israel, because God glorified it. I like visiting Israel. It's Jesus' hometown. Jesus' home state. There's a lot of places you can walk, and you know Jesus was somewhere close there, but you don't know exactly where. But man, when you come up the steps of the Roman uh, road behind Caiaphas' house, going up this hill to Caiaphas' house, if you're walking in the middle of those steps, you are stepping where Jesus stepped. You're walking where Jesus walked, because he had soldiers on both sides of him. And they're going up the steps, and he's in the middle. And that's the kind of experience that raises hair on the back of my neck and on my arms. To know you're walking where Jesus walked. You go down into that dungeon under Caiaphas' house. You know you're where Jesus was. Where he spent part of the night until early in the morning when they took him through the temple courtyard over to the uh, to Pilate's throne room. Wow. To sit there in the Garden of Gethsemane looking at 2,000-year-old olive trees. Jesus walked. A nation that thou knowest not. Israel didn't know about America back then. The nations that didn't know about Israel shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel. For he hath glorified thee. And then there's another invitation. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. And I just can't help but believe that that's not a cry to the church. A cry to the church. Yeah, to us. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. It's also a cry to the world. I am old enough now that 50 years ago, no one in America except the communists would ever have dreamed that we would live in a socialist state with a president who does not abide by the Constitution which he swore before the whole nation to uphold and protect. But it's happening in my lifetime. And that terrifies me for my grandchildren. What kind of world are they going to grow up in? That's why I like singing songs to them about Jesus. Tell them stories from the, from the Bible. Because I want them to know at a very early age that Jesus saves. Jesus saves.
cry for repentance. Let the wicked forsake his way. The unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. What's he saying? He's saying that what we think is okay because everybody's doing it is not okay if the Bible doesn't say so. If the Bible calls it sin, it is sin. And you don't have to call it a disease. Drunkenness is a sin. Drug addiction is a sin. Adultery is a sin. Fornication is a sin. Homosexuality is a sin. Not loving God is a sin. Disrespecting your parents is a sin. Theft is a sin. It doesn't have to be a big theft. It could be just taking something off your desk that your boss paid for. You're going to take it home with you and use it. Because it was just a little thing. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God doesn't think it's a little thing. He said, thou shalt not steal. He didn't say, thou shalt not steal big stuff. He said, thou shalt not steal, period. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And we better get in His thinking and His way if we ever intend for God to bless us and protect us and use us. Because we're living in a society that very rapidly is becoming anti-God, anti-church, anti-Christian. And I rejoice that you're here this morning. But I can't help but wonder how many would be here if you knew you might get arrested for coming. I wonder how how much the offering would be if you didn't get a tax deduction for giving to the church. Nowhere does the Bible guarantee a tax deduction for gifts to the church. God just says 10% belongs to Him. Give it. Bring it all the tithes into the storehouse. You say, Brother Casey, you stay on that awful lot, don't you? Yes, I do. You know why? Because I love watching God bless people. I love watching God work. Years ago, when I started tithing, I realized that I wasn't hardly making enough money to tithe on. And so I started tithing on what I wanted to make. And the next year, I made that much. I thought, whoa, I'm doing that again. And I'm still doing it every year. God's blessed so abundantly, i got money sometimes that I can just give away. I went through Sonic the other morning and bought a, what did I buy? Oh, a large Diet Dr. Pepper. Okay. And I looked back and there's three cars behind me. And I handed my car to the little girl and I said, I'm paying for mine and for the three cars behind me. She said, really? I said, yeah, really. 
She said, wow, that's nice of you. I said, well, it's not really very nice of me. It's not my money. It's easy to give away somebody else's money. Whose money was I giving away? God's money. He owns everything. It's the cheapest way I know to feel like a millionaire. You know? You drive away thinking, gee, I just paid for three guys' breakfast. I must be doing really well. And truth of the matter is, I am. Because God blesses abundantly. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And I want to think His thoughts and I want to live His way because I want to see what He can do in and through somebody that's yielded to Him. And I'd like to see what He can do with the whole church of people that's yielded to Him. It's willing to just let Him, let him work and let Him direct. The church that's obedient will do what He says. But in order for that to happen, we've got to turn from our wicked ways. Turn. That's the word for repentance. Turn from our wicked ways. The lady said, well, Brother Casey, that works. No, that's a decision. God does the work. Quite honestly, I can't change on my own. That's why New Year's resolutions aren't all that popular. Tell my Sunday school class this morning, the only one I ever kept was the year I decided not to make any New Year's resolutions. I didn't make one all year. Turn. It's a choice, a decision that causes us to turn to God, and that turns us away from everything else. Everything ungodly we turn away from when we turn to Him. We confess our sin. And He says, if my people, which are called by my name, will do that, if they'll humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven Forgive their land, forgive their sin, and heal their land. How would you like to live in a healed America? It starts with my people humbling themselves and praying, seeking His face. That's the message. So we bow our heads and stand quietly to our feet. The invitation is this. If the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart this morning, He's pointed out something in your life that needs to be turned away from, or something that needs to be turned to, then I invite you to come. If you need to be saved, I'll be here to to greet you, and we'll take the Word of God and help you. If you want to follow the Lord in believers' baptism, we'll make arrangements for you to be baptized if you've been saved. Whatever the need is in your heart and life, you come and do business with God this morning. Father, I pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that you would be glorified and lifted up in this invitation, that we'd be smart enough just to say yes to you, to whatever you say to us. In Jesus' name, amen.